Metabilis 2 podcast with me, Ben. And David. And I think this week we are going to talk a little bit about the master. <laughs> the master. <laughs> Who, as I'm sure, as any fool know, is the doctor's nemesis, or is he? Ah, good question. Yes. And is an interesting character. And I've actually, uh, there's, I think there's a subject for another podcast here, which I'd like, mm-hmm. I'd like to cover, which is the difference between a monster... And obviously, Doctor Who is well known, well known for its monsters. The difference between a monster and a villain. Hmm. And of course, Doctor Who is also well known for its villains. Yes. And uh, interestingly, having thought about this a little bit today, while I've been whizzing around like a crazy person, is actually the Master is kind of a combination of monster and villain. Hmm. Ah, why do I say this? Yes. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> because obviously, a villain. Everyone knows what a villain is. Mm-hmm. A villain is a single, single individual who mm-hmm. is uh, the antithesis in some way to uh, to our hero. And drives mm-hmm. the plot in the, the negative direction, and our hero has to pull the plot back again in a positive direction. Right. But of course, a monster, again, technically speaking, you know, if you go back to the original kind of Greek derivation of the word, is something that's unnatural and is spawned unnaturally, and it's against nature, it's literally against nature. And so, in some ways, again, you know, the master, as a perverted time lord, is he's, he's monstrous, he's literally monstrous, he is, mm-hmm. he is everything that the doctor uh, fights against. And he's obviously, he's also, uh, is everything that the Time Lords are against as well. So that's why, that's why the Master's interesting. Unless, well, unless the Time Lords agenda aligns with the Master, and it has several times. Oh, goodness, of course, that is true. Yes. Uh, Why don't you take us through a few of those times? Well, the earliest time I think that they aligned was in The Five Doctors, where the Time Lords send the Master, played by Anthony Ainley at the time, into the death... Sent uh, the Master into the death zone to try to assist the Doctor. And in the promise for uh, 13 more regenerations. Right, right, right. So at that time, they were certainly aligned. And probably a little bit later uh, in the d- trial of the Time Lord, the Master once again stepped in. Now, whether or not his plans aligned with the Time Lords perfectly or not, it was certainly the Master who appeared in court and said, uh, uh, spoilers, who the value right, was right, and right. Uh, how this was not perhaps something that the Time Lords would wish to pursue. Right, right, so, right. And then in 21st Century Who, the RTD take on the Master was that he was 
corrupted or brainwashed from early age into as looked a child. Into the, what is it? The eternal schism? Something? Some? Some? Yeah. Looked into the time vortex, and that's how the the drum beat right. started. Which always interested me because uh, it's, it's, it's it's kind of like the total perspective vortex in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? You look into <laughs> it and you see where you are in the universe, and you go mad. Hey, man, the universe is really cool, man. <laughs> Unless, unless of course, you're Zaphod yes. Bingbrox. Good old Zaphod. Um, there's a fruit who really knows where his towel is. Well, there's a question for you that's totally off topic. Do you think the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe is the same universe that the Doctor tools around? You know, I, I can't speak for whether there's been any canonical crossovers. I'm sure there's been fan fiction crossovers. I would like to think that actually this is probably if not the same universe then at least kind of one universe over from the doctor's universe it'd be an interesting crossover i would think with it would be i think a crossover that would actually work pretty well so of course Mm -hmm. as as everyone knows douglas adams the the creator of the hitchhiker's guide to the universe wrote and a story edited um script edited many many classic doctor who tales so for the first season of Chris Chibnall, he's going to have a master Vogon crossover yeah. with hyperspace bypasses and the master is their condemning planets yeah. that get in his way. And I mean, having re-watched a few months ago uh, a story which I'm now going to completely forget, which is, ah, oh, what's the first Davison one with the giant toad man uh, played by Stratford Johns? For to Doomsday. For to Doomsday, and he's totally a Vogon. I mean, that's a Vogon. That's what a Vogon looks like. <laughs> he's even doing like a Vogon thing by like threatening to destroy the world. So, Persetnik Vogon Jelts. Exactly, exactly. As played by Stratford Johns in the For to Doomsday. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in a, in a very untoad like demeanor. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the Master. Um... For our listeners who yeah. may or may not know the background of the Master, in the Barry Letts, Terence Dick's partnership of running Doctor Who in the John Pertwee era, mm-hmm. in between season seven and season eight, uh, they did a little bit of brainstorming and thought, how are we going to handle this Doctor Stranded on Earth scenario? And either yeah. the producer, Barry Letts, or the script editor, Terrence Dix, came up with the idea. I think it was Mr. Dix. And he said, what we need is the nemesis. Moriarty. Right, Moriarty. And yeah. so they thought that was a mighty fine idea and went and put the master in every story in season eight. <laughs> Which, you know, sounds like that might have got a bit tedious. But in fact, if you watch season eight, apart from the fact that, like, yes, it's always the master, mm-hmm. it's actually, it's, it works really well. And you are actually, well, okay, maybe I'm biased because I really like Doctor Who, but I remember when I, actually, I, I, those stories I read first, um, I, I rather mm-hmm. than saw them, I didn't see them live on TV, and obviously they get released on DVD and video a, a lot later. But I remember being surprised. Oh yes, it, it's and and also not only are you surprised, you're also pleased because the Master is awesome, and as played by mm-hmm. Roger Delgado, um, the first incarnation of the Master. Unless of course you want to be really fanish about it and look at the War Games and that the War. I think it's the Warlord in the War Games yeah. is possibly mm-hmm. a previous incarnation of the Master. We're not really sure. Mm, I I do not believe so. I mm. I think the World Chief. War, it's the war chief. No, warlord. Anyway, one of the war people. <laughs> I I do not think he's the war same people. individual. Yeah, but anyway, as played by Roger Delgado, um, is an absolutely just seductive, suave, 
just an amazing mm-hmm. character. But there is no better villain. I mean, he is so brilliantly villainous. And it really, to me, it really sells. What is actually kind of unlikely is that the Doctor always beats the Master, but he never kind of defeats Mm -hmm. him. You know, the Master is never kind of killed Mm -hmm. or finally brought low. And the Doctor, you know, this this Doctor and the Master have this kind of like, ooh, Mm -hmm. sort of slightly adversarial but kind of fun relationship. But I mean, the thing is, which which doesn't make sense if you think about it, but Delgado and Pertwee just sell that Mm -hmm. so well. Just marvelous, marvelous. And Delgado is an excellent master and he's brilliant. He's the mold. I think of him as very suave, sophisticated, um, charming. And and you can see some of his charm just in the time monster when he's trying to seduce the queen of Atlantis played by Ingrid Pitt. The lovely Ingrid Pitt, yes. Yes. So he's charming. He has that sophistication, but he uses it for evil. Evil, yeah. Well, when he's sitting in the back of Sitting in the back of his limousine in... Um, Mind of Evil. Uh, yes, exactly. Puffing mm-hmm. on a cigar and like listening, listening to King Crimson. <laughs> you know, he's like, wow, you are the coolest <laughs> man who ever lived. Even, even, even though you're not actually a man, even though you're not actually alive, and even though you're a fictional character, and even though you're evil, you are just, just awesome. Yeah. And if, if Roger Degado had survived and not died in a car wreck... I believe the season finale was going to have the revelation or the way Dix and Letts were going to go is that the master was actually the doctor's brother. Uh, I've heard a, a, another slightly live story that knew there would be kind of a Buddhist twist as well, that not only would he be the doctor's brother, but he'd be in some way the doctor's kind of, you know, yin yes. to the doctor's yang kind of thing. They would be kind of some kind of eternal mm-hmm. kind of struggle between dark and light thing which i think would have been wonderful i mean again as far as i remember the story goes that roger delgado was kind of losing parts right because everyone assumed that he was kind of in doctor who permanently which of course he wasn't so he asked barry um let's i call him barry because he's a good friend of mine no reason <laughs> um because he asked mm-hmm. barry to um to write him out properly mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether this made the news in the states and i very much doubt it but i can remember watching the six o'clock news in the 1970s and it would have been 1973 possibly i can remember the death of roger delgado being uh, Mm. one of the top news stories and i can remember being absolutely devastated as a child very tragic has early yeah it was completely tragic early 1970s with john pertwee you always talk about the unit family and fandom and that's a a kind of a touchstone Mm -hmm. i think a vital member of that unit family was delgado as the weekly nemesis as the master yeah yeah. and he was part of the family he knew absolutely miss joe grant Grant. yeah he wouldn't call her joe but they were on a familiar basis they were you know it was always miss grant he was very formal very polite and uh he just had this way of not necessarily stealing the scene, but you would gravitate to his magnetism, his charm. Absolutely magnetic. And yeah. even though his plans were cockamamie <laughs> or just not well thought through, and they were often just the MacGuffin for the story, 
you kind of were rooting for the master in some ways. Not that he would defeat the doctor, but that, you know, how far would he go? How how critical of a situation would he put the doctor in before it all go up in smoke and the doctor would have to be called in like in the Sea Devils to Absolutely. save the day? And it's always the doctor working with the master to save the day. One of the interesting things about doing these podcasts, actually, is how we oscillate between uh, the text uh, you know what's on screen and that being real and then we oscillate back to the actors playing the text and how those mm-hmm. are again with a show like who are kind of weirdly interrelated which i think is one of the reasons it makes that the show is so interesting mm-hmm. um but i think um, by all accounts one of the things about john pertwee the third doctor is he was he was quite insecure as an actor i mean he'd come um, from a comedy background, and mm-hmm. Doctor Who was actually his first serious acting job, and he was mm-hmm. f- very much insecure around actors. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that he had this amazing working relationship with Roger Delgado, and also with mm-hmm. Katie Manning um, and Nicholas Courtney. Mm-hmm. But they worked so well together, and mm-hmm. they were so suave together, and it was just a beautiful beautiful relationship mm-hmm. which made so much sense in terms of the story it was lovely right and then the the master disappeared from our screens for four years almost i think with uh mm-hmm. about four years yeah because we see him at the end of frontier in space having orchestrated the dalek war and it's, it's i i like to think of the end of the frontier in space as the biggest cliffhanger to the letdown letdown yes you're you're expecting this big space opera in uh is it planet of the daleks that follow yeah. up yeah and it's it's a return to the hartnell episode of the daleks just uh-huh. restaged yeah. and reset when recast yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be like full on Dalek war, like in the comic strips. And then it mm-hmm. just, it's, and I mean, it's, and again, I mean, I think if you look at the history of the show, you'll see why uh, Frontier in Space kind of ended, just, it, it kind of ended in a mess. Um, they mm-hmm. didn't have enough time, they mm-hmm. had run out of money, um, et cetera, et cetera. They, et cetera. they had a, very dubious uh, monster god for the Ogrons, which is exactly pretty dubious yeah, looking on screen. Yeah, it's just, it's a giant testicle. I mean, who wouldn't be frightened of a giant testicle? It's intrinsically a frightening concept. I thought you just on a complete tangent. Um, but these are the uh, people been, the master would associate with. <laughs> exactly. Well, I've been watching. Um, uh, this is a complete tangent, and there's a show, uh, Rick and Morty, which is a new cartoon mm-hmm. okay, show, yeah. um, which on on Hulu. All right. Which actually is completely has so much Doctor Who in it. It's kind of amazing, <laughs> and one of the monsters is a giant testicle, and okay. uh, and they call it, oh, it's a giant testicle, just like the the god of the Ogrons is also a giant <laughs> testicle. Um, and he disappears from the master disappears from our screens. And what is genius when the master returns? And I, I can't overemphasize how genius Doctor Who of the <laughs> early to mid seventies was. Now I am biased because that's when I really was enjoying watching it. Mm-hmm. But it, it is genius when the master comes back. He is a shriveled, desiccated, mm-hmm. bug-eyed Skeletor. Mm-hmm in a kind of rotten robe mm-hmm. who is living in the sewers of Gallifrey and is the polar opposite of Roger Delgado. And the genius of, of Holmes and Hinchcliffe in bringing the character back. Um, and if you think about it, you know, who, who, who is the best villain for 
in The Deadly Assassin. What What is the best villain for a, mm-hmm. sh- for a show that is set on Gallifrey? Mm-hmm. The best villain has to be the master. You Absolutely. Know, the doctor, you know, the time lord mm-hmm. adversary. But, okay, and then, okay, well, what is, what is the complete polar opposite of Roger Delgado? And the, the, the master, and unfortunately right now I am going to be unable to remember who played. Um, it was Roger Pratt, wasn't it? No, Peter someone, Pratt. Peter, Peter Pratt, Pratt and the Deadly Assassin. In the Deadly Assassin. Um, but again, I mean, it's, 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 it's beautifully played, but I mean, he is in a, you know, a John Friedlander style mask, so you, you mm-hmm. really can't see his features. And it no. is the polar opposite of, Je- of Roger Delgado, and mm-hmm. that is what is so genius about that episode. It's like, it's a slap in the face, because, you know, when you hear it's the master, this is, you know, you expect in the kind of suave, Delgado, and it's just mm-hmm. this kind of creeping, insane, mm-hmm. wizened, rotting corpse. It's right. marvelous. And it's, I think, the start of the crazed, yes. deranged master. Yes. Where Delgado's master was more, I wouldn't say small scale plans, because he certainly wanted to take over the universe, but even though they were crazy, they were more well thought out. There was some reason behind it with peter pratt's master and the deadly assassin yes there was um there definitely mm-hmm. a plan there yeah. but that plan would have destroyed gallifrey yeah. would have probably destroyed the universe uh, but the master was so yeah, it, bonkers bitter, from whatever ex- exactly uh, accident exactly. happened right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it just just again a, a, mm-hmm. just a, someone who's just bent on the destruction of the universe now rather mm-hmm. than on the defeat of his adversary so one of the arguments lately I've heard in fandom, and this ties into Missy, who is our most recent incarnation of the Master. Of course. But in the story with Dark Water, and uh, <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so the story with uh, Dark Water, Death in Heaven, yeah, where Missy comes back as the Master. Right. We have a return of apparently the Brigadier in Cyberman. Form. Right. And the argument or the defense of that, which I think was pretty across the line, yes. kind of at an above. Yes, I, I, I'm, <laughs> the, I'm in agreement with you on that one. I'm, I think that was a bridge too far by our beloved showrunner. Mm-hmm. That the argument for that, for the people like myself who was upset with a return of the Brigadier as a Cyberman, yeah. was would you have gotten upset with the return of the Master as a desiccated corpse corpse, and the deadly assassin because it's nowhere near of what Roger Delgado was. Was it insulting the actor's memory? Was it insulting the character's memory? So do you have any opinion on that? Do you think there's any similarities between the two? I think the difference, obviously, is that the Brigadier is a hero Mm -hmm. and is an identification figure for us as watchers and over and above, you know, the actor being very well loved and being, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, a really great guy. Mm -hmm. I think it's slightly different for villains. I mean, I think you can swallow villains being recast in hideous ways Mm -hmm. after their deaths, possibly of the deaths of the actors. With a hero, maybe it's that slightly different... Mm -hmm. I can see where they're coming from, but yeah, yeah. Hmm. Personally, I don't think there's much of a parallel because one, we're dealing with, like you say, a villain, but also a Time Lord, which has, as as Time, as time Lords yeah. have demonstrated, have much more resiliency. And if you don't look at the real world scenario of Roger Delgado dying in a car wreck, it's it just seems like it, it flows better than, but then to have this 
dark water rain that turns corpses into cybermen and it just really seemed to be insulting yeah Moffat being very clever and very creative but I just think it was the wrong way of doing remembrance of the brigadier I, th- I think it was and I think we'd also had a we'd, we'd already had a, a kind of a valedictory nod to the death of Nick Courtney I call him because mm-hmm. he was a close friend like he wasn't anyway um to Nicholas Courtney in the yes. talent era I can't remember which episode but I think there was a there was a piece written when Courtney died so I think it, I think it was slightly unnecessary and it, and I think for certain certain places in fandom, uh, maybe a place that Moffat mm-hmm. is in, there is a I think a, a slight over exaggeration of the importance of mm-hmm. the Brigadier. Yes, as a character, I prefer to have him more closely identified with the you know the unit years of the 70s rather than to be this figure who spans all of the doctor's involvement in the earth in the late 20th century and Um, really that came into effect by accident or the unavailability of william russell in the um, peter davison era to play in modern undead his ian character i think actually this will be another great subject for a subsequent podcast is our top 10 or five or whatever we want to choose casting snafus that led to like complete rewriting of the show's canon. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how genius would it have been to have William Russell as the teacher at that school and how difficult has it made it Mm -hmm. for fans to kind of reconcile the canon of Doctor Who by having Nicholas Courtney as the teacher over and above the fact it's like, it's the Brigadier. Like why the hell did he become a Mm -hmm. mass teacher? Well, they try you know, to explain um, it, and it's sort of like they trying do to. Not very well. It's getting the square peg in the round hole by shaving off bits of the character. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so sorry. Yeah. Uh, we, again, we're going wild, wild, wildly off topic. Let's quickly fast forward to Anthony Ainley. Uh, well, so coming into Anthony Ainley, we had him being played. Uh, was it Tremus in the Keeper of Trakan? In the Keeper of Trakan, um, and Jeffrey Beavers was playing the desiccated corpse master. In that exactly, who had who had kind of slightly got better, I think, <laughs> um, probably by being in the Trakanian, which is kind of a nice environment, which is probably healthy. Um, so he'd slightly got better from being a corpse, but not right. So his TARDIS was the Melker, I believe. Yes. He was inside the Melker, Melker and directing directing Cassia with his necklace of doom, I guess. <laughs> necklace of doom. And Jeffrey Beavers has gone on, um, has gone from strength to strength, and is, has been an excellent audio master um, for Big Finish. Mm-hmm. And again, I can solidly recommend his take on a kind of sibilant and kind of actually kind of creepy, pervy sort of master. Which doctor does he play against then? Um, he is mainly with McGann, but I think they interesting they have spread him across. Oh no, he's done. He's done. Uh, McCoy's. Um, I mean, they've they've spread him all all the way across, and he does a really really good job. He's a really excellent master. Is uh, Beaver playing his Trarkin master? Or? No, it's I th- he is he is the master before he gets roasted. Okay, so he's like a he's 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 kind of a pre Trarkin master, a pre so, a pre deadly assassin master. Interesting, interesting yeah. casting decision. Yeah, and well, of course, he's he's Jeffrey Beaver's is Caroline John's partner as well, so. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a who connection there, mm-hmm. and they also they have a new master now, a big finish. Um, that guy from um, the thick of it, I can't remember his name. I haven't actually heard of his, heard any of his stories. <laughs> Peter <but>. Capaldi. 
actually no. Um, the other guy, it's Peter Cavaldi. Um, no, the uh, the have you have you have you seen the um, the thick of it? It's very good. I've only seen. Uh, <laughs> I've not seen a complete run of in the thick. There's of a it. kind of nerdy, and I wish I could remember the guy's name. He's kind of a, like a nerdy kind of. Um, not a, he's not a spin doctor like Capaldi's character, but he's kind of a, a nerdy kind of consultant. Was he the one that was in Dark Water, Death in Heaven? No, no, was he? Oh, I don't think he was. Anyway, so we're getting way off the topic now. <laughs> anyway, so um, so yeah, uh, Beavers did a good job. Anthony Ainley, of course, was in the Keeper of Traken as Tremus of Traken. Right. The Beavers master, uh, his kind of dying breath, um, takes over Anthony Ainley's um, Tremus of Traken's mm-hmm. uh, body and becomes the new master. Just his sinister chuckle, the a- Ainley chuckle. <laughs> chuckling sinisterly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we come to the Anthony Ainley years, which are, again, like so much with uh, 1980s who Mm -hmm. is both good in many ways and also horrible and terrible in other ways. Ainley is kind of the snidely whiplash version of the master with the mustache twirling chuckling. Yes. um, Yes. mm -hmm. And I think it's it's obviously he's been directed to play uh, this character like Roger Delgado only you know turned up to 11. The pantomime version of Roger Delgado. And by all accounts, and I do recommend everyone reading this month's Doctor Who magazine, which has a really great interview with Peter Davison, um, Mm -hmm. who has some really interesting things to say about pretty much everyone that he worked with in Doctor Who. And he has some great and interesting things to say about Anthony Ainley. Oh, really? Um, By all accounts, Anthony Ainley was a really, really odd person. He was very nice from everything I've read about his interaction with fandom. He was very, very generous with his time, very very giving with interviews and yeah. just really really liked playing the master and that he was my understanding again he was fairly well off and he didn't have to work and he did not have to work he and the he, only work he did was in those later years be the master it was the only the two things he did with his life is one watch watch and play cricket with which mm-hmm. he was obsessed and play the master because mm-hmm. as you point out david he was independently wealthy and didn't really have to work at all mm-hmm. and so obviously giving his time to and you know it actually takes quite a lot of time to be in a tv show mm-hmm. he obviously really enjoyed playing the master because he didn't have to do that right one of the interesting things i think and again i would point you to point our, our listeners our listener to this <laughs> month's doctor who magazine apparently one of the interesting things about anthony Ellie, he was completely bald yep. and wore a wig and uh, all the time but unfortunately uh, never admitted that he wore a wig and even when he was having to play a character that was bald, they had difficulty because they had to find a way to uh, put, uh, put a, a bald a pate, a makeup bald pate over his mm-hmm. uh, already wigged head. <laughs> so he was, a, he was kind of an odd man, but obviously loved the part. I do have a copy of uh, The Destiny of the Doctors, mm-hmm. the, um, the game, uh, the PC game mm-hmm. produced in the late 1990s. Um, where he reprises his part as the master and does a superb job. So even though his character is kind of an idiot, and as you point out, this kind of mustachio twirling, kind of tying the maiden to the railway tracks mm-hmm. kind of character, um, you got to love him because he was just a horrible old ham and he did, he did a pretty good job with some really pretty doggish scripts. And I'm kind of looking at you, the King's Demons. Right. And um, the one where they crash Concord into the Jurassic era. 
if people want to see the Destiny of the Doctor continuity things that Anthony Ainley did, I believe they're extras on, on Survival's DVD. Oh, they are. Because, of course, and this is, again, really points to what a how dependent, I think any TV show, but actually particularly a particular show like Doctor Who, mm-hmm. how dependent our favourite show has been on directors and producers and script editors and people who care about it. Easily, in my opinion, Ainley's best performance as the master was in Survival, which was the last of the classic era mm-hmm. Doctor Who episodes with Sylvester McCoy. And that is a superb performance, in my opinion, and just deepens the character and ratchets up the conflict between the Doctor and the Master to this kind of cosmic mm-hmm. level. Um, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant performance by both McCoy and by Ainley and just shows what could have been done had people been paying proper attention and not kind of arguing with each other earlier on in the uh, in the 1980s. Don't know whether you agree with that. but Well, well my two favorite appearances from Ainley would be the, his first full-blown one as the Master in Legopolis. Yes, okay. I like that peoples of the universe, please attend carefully, or, or please listen carefully. <laughs> I like I like that little speech. It was a nice uh, tie back to have the big radio antenna tying back to Terror of the Auton. It was just a little bit of nice symmetry there. Right, right. But also, I liked... I liked his portrayal in The Five Doctor. Yes, that is a good one. You're right. Yes. And just his asides, like, a cosmos without the Doctor scarcely bears thinking about. Right, right. His uh, interaction with John Pertwee was (laughs) also pretty good. And uh, just, I don't know. I just, I liked him in those. And more, I think his low points are things like Time Flight. Yeah, Time Flight. Or... A planet of Fire, I don't think, really served him well. Or even the Mark of the Ronnie, where he... Why was he there at all? Yeah, yeah. And King's Demons as well, where it's just like, what is your plan? Mm-hmm. Um, the, it seems like this was kind of a meddling monk story, but they didn't want to do the meddling monk because that would have been too deep of a cut in the Doctor Who history in this... Very good point. In, in the era when they had a lot of throwbacks to older things in the series. So Yeah, no, you're right. It seems like if you were going to do The King's Demon, the right Time Lord, if you're going to redo a Time Lord, would be The Meddling Monk. Yeah. And again, I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I've actually just Googled who the new master on Big Finish is. is uh, the, the actor is called Alexander McQueen. Alex McQueen. Okay. Big Finish, um, who I think we're going to continue to promote in these podcasts, um, have also <laughs> released stories featuring the, med- the meddling monk. Hmm. Superbly realized by Graham Garden, who, again, fans of kind of British genre TV, uh, especially comedy, will recognize as one of the goodies, uh, mm-hmm. Graham from the goodies. Because, of course, your original meddling monk was in the Carry On movies. So, again, they recast the meddling monk as a, uh, with, a, with a British comedian. And Graham Garden does an amazing job as the meddling monk um and it's just so pleasurable to hear these kind of these someone taking so much time and effort and care in kind of recasting um these these characters big finish does amazing job with their casting big uh, big finish yes they are Mm -hmm. really amazing um so anthony only yeah i think he was a deeply odd man but he he did a good job do you mind touching on what peter davidson said of him in was it the most current one so that'd be what 503 um he lived with his mother Mm -hmm. um nobody really knew what he was doing he was either really outgoing or really shy and no one could really work out what 
He had a lot of secrets in his life that he would never tell anyone <laughs> about. And his main secret was is that he wore a wig, mm-hmm. and a spectacularly uh, unconvincing wig that didn't fool anybody right. apart from himself. And Davis's opinion is that all of the oddness of Ainley's life kind of uh, springs from the fact that he wore a very, very unconvincing wig. Hmm. It just shows how good of an actor he was. He was able to convince himself that he still had hair. I think he was, and I think the funny thing, and, and actually Davison's a really funny guy, um, so I don't know, anyway. One thing that was interesting in 503, that the Peter Davison's take on the dismissal of Colin Baker, if we want to go off on a tangent a little bit on that. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. What's, yeah. Do you want to give it a little nutshell synopsis of that? and That, that it was a power play, because Grade, uh, Michael Grade wanted to get rid of, of John Nathan Turner and his uh, his tactic because the BBC is all about politics um, you know with a small p to get rid of Nathan Turner from a show that he disliked but recognized maybe probably could just do with a reboot right. was to order Nathan Turner to fire his leading man right and of course Nathan Turner being again kind of an oddball Instead of playing that game, and as which the honourable thing would do would have been done, was to kind of okay, well, I I resign right. then. Said okay, I will fire my leading man, <laughs> and I will continue being the producer, yeah. which I think is a really interesting take and probably quite accurate mm-hmm. actually. And it was the wrong decision. And it was the wrong decision because, as we know, again going back to Big Finish, Colin Baker is an amazing actor right. and has been a superb doctor in in audio. And was very much let down mm-hmm. by the scripts and costumes and direction and pretty much everything in his sixth Doctor era. Yeah, and not to take anything away from Sylvester McCoy, but it would have been really nice to have Colin Baker get a good producer, a good script mm-hmm. editor, good quality direction and scripts in there to show how much he could really shine as an actor yeah, absolutely. on television. Absolutely, absolutely. And I and, think, actually, we are going to go off on a tangent here, but one of the, one of the interesting things I always find when I'm thinking about Doctor Who, which is, you know, something I do relatively regularly, um, is, <laughs> is kind of dividing up actors or p- people who played the Doctor right. into actors, i.e. people who are playing a part, right. and people who are just being themselves. Mm-hmm. So Patrick Troughton and Peter Davison, great examples of actors, um, actors right. who were playing the part of the Doctor. John Pertwee... And especially, I think, Tom Baker. Very much Tom Baker. Great examples of people who are just being themselves. Right. Not really acting at all. They're saying lines, but they're not acting a part. They're just being themselves. Yeah, the doctor's persona at that time was the actor's persona. Exactly. Um, and I think one of the fascinating things, when again, when I've been thinking more deeply about Colin Baker's era is that Colin Baker, I believe, was cast by John Nathan Turner in the Tom Baker mold. Um, Nathan Turner cast Colin Baker to be someone who was playing himself, mm-hmm. i.e. Colin Baker, was just being Colin Baker's personality right. as the Doctor, when actually Colin Baker is just a really good actor. Right. And if they'd just given Baker good scripts and got him to act them correctly that era would have been saved. And I think, again, I mean, I think a lot of people have said this, so I'm, I'm only kind of repeating what I've read. The, the Baker, Colin Baker, Colin Baker's sixth doctor, was a, he's, a, he's like a Mary Sue. You know, he is basically John Nathan Turner as being the doctor. And I think there's, you know, 
very common anecdotes about how Colin Baker was picked to pay the doctor mm-hmm. because um, John Nathan Turner met him at a picnic and uh, Baker was being kind of very ebullient and kind of dominating the conversation. And uh, Nathan Turner said, okay, that's the person I want to be the doctor. I want someone who's kind of dominant mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of extrovert. Um, I, I want someone to basically to be themselves in that part. Right. Completely misunderstanding that actually Colin Baker is a, is a very, very, very good actor. Right. And actually should have been cast more in the Davison or Troughton Mulls. So what did you think of Colin Baker's acting in The Ultimate Foe against uh, going up against or matching wits with Anthony Ainley to try to figure out what was behind the mystery of the Valyard? I think Baker did the best job that he could do with the direction and the scripts that he was given. There's a huge, a huge amount wrong with um, the Trial of a Time Lord. Um, I actually quite enjoy it. I mean, I've only, I have to say, I hated it when it first came out. <laughs> I watched it probably three or four times um, on video and DVD, and every time I've watched it, I've kind of enjoyed it more because I'm paying more attention to the performances right. rather than to you know the weakness of the scripts and the the weakness of the, of the direction. You're watching the professionals do their stuff. I'm watching professionals do their stuff. What do and um, what do you think? Uh... I think the received wisdom is the master is cast for their doctor. Right. And for me, Ainley was cast to be the opposite or antithesis of Peter Davison. And due to the availability of Anthony Ainley and the fact that he liked being the master, that we had, (laughs) that was the master for the 80s. And perhaps a different, more subtle uh, individual would have been a better uh, That's true. It's opposite true. for Colin Baker. That's true. But you get the master you have, and that yeah. is, you know, he played against Colin Baker in The Ultimate Foe and The Mark of the Ronnie. He was kind of the third wheel in The Mark of the Ronnie. There really wasn't any point of him being in there other than just showing the Ronnie really could care less about the squabble between the master and the doctor and just wishes the boys would just leave her alone to her science, I mm-hmm. guess. So. Mm-hmm. I think in the Colin Baker era in in season 22, the the most traditional of Colin Baker's two seasons, Mm -hmm. it would have been better to give the master his own story rather than introduce a new time lady villainous to go against the doctors and yeah i think also in trial of a time lord i mean you already have a great time lord villain in the valyard um mm-hmm. and then you bang okay it's the master as well he's, right he's he's kind of a second wheel in both of those both of those stories in the trial of the time lord i think he's serving similar role that he was serving in the five doctors but even more of a light touch in the five doctors it was a celebration of all the monsters villains uh, return to gallifrey have the five well four three doctors in uh, in the ultimate foe the, the you know the story that ends the trial of the time lord he seems more well of course who else would be in there in the matrix to know his way around the right, matrix it makes right. sense that the master is going right. to be there but i like anthony Ainley. i see him more as peter davison's master so yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That's so, true. and then we have the TV movie. We probably should call it a wraps and maybe pick up the master again in the TV movie a different night. Uh, that would that would suit me very well. Okay. I have to say, why don't we call it a wrap and pick up with a TV movie and then uh, the John Sim, um, uh, you know, the re- and and the and the uh, I can't remember her name now. You know, the new the lady master, yeah. the mistress. We have Derek Jacobi and Michelle Gomez. So. Of course, Jared Jacoby. Yeah. Wow. 
which is probably worth the 30 oh, minutes yeah. or I an can, hour. I think that's one of my high points of the new series uh, with, right. with, um, with Jacoby. Excellent. That's good. So leave it on a cliffhanger here. It's a cliffhanger. Whoa. It's a cliffhanger. <laughs> and we can pick it up next week. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you. You've been listening to The Metabulous 2. I am David. And I am Ben, and um, we bid you we bid you farewell, <laughs> or something. Good evening. I don't know. Good evening. <laughs>